friends. I want to say welcome to Vernonia Church and our online teaching time. My name is Sam. I'm the pastor here at Vernonia Church, and it's my privilege to share with you as we continue this series where we've been talking about God on film, uh, where we've been going through different movies that have been coming out this summer, talking about ideas from the movies, quotes from the movies, or or, or just anything that, that brings us back to a teaching in Scripture, and that's what we're doing today. And what I want to share with you today is a teaching called An Imagined future. And it's going to be a great day. Hey, before we begin, I just want you to know something. I want you to know that you are loved. You are loved. You're loved by God. You're loved by Jesus Christ who gave his life for you to show you mercy and grace. And because they love you, I love you. And and I just want to share that with you and let you know that I want to be praying for you. Uh, And so I just want to pray for you before we dive in. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I I pray that you would bless this time that we're spending talking about, uh, well, as we talk about your mercy and your grace and your love uh, for us, as we think about how, how, God, you have this great imagined future for us and that you're working all things in the direction of that future. And God, I pray that, that you will help us understand your word today. I pray that you would speak through what we do here and speak through the scriptures we get into here and just touch our hearts. Bring us together with the right word that would that would be a blessing, that would that would bring healing, that would bring strength and that would bring encouragement. It's in Jesus name that we pray. Each one of us said together, amen. Well, let's dive in. Today we're going to be talking about an imagined future. And I want to bring a quote from a movie that's come out this summer. And here it is. We imagine a future and our imaginings horrify us. And those are the words from the trailer for the movie Oppenheimer. It's the words that the trailer begins with. And I want to bounce off those words this morning. Uh, We imagine a future and our imaginings horrify us. Uh, I want to bounce off those words. We're talking about imagined future. Uh, We're in this series, God on Film. And this summer, a movie about the life of a scientist named Oppenheimer came out as a fan of history, a fan of uh, documentaries, a fan of World War II history, and a fan of docudramas. Uh, I was kind of excited about this movie, uh, Oppenheimer, coming out. But unfortunately, unlike other movies that we've talked about in this series, I can't, I can't recommend going and seeing it. I, I can't recommend it because there's all kinds of unnecessary and extremely inappropriate content in this movie. Uh, so, so it's not one that I would say, hey, make sure you get out and see this movie. In fact, I'd tell you, you're probably better off not watching it, and you're better off uh, learning about the story of Oppenheimer uh, without the movie. And truthfully, most of the good quotes in the movie, you can actually uh, come across in the trailers about the movie. But the movie's about the story of Oppenheimer, and because Oppenheimer 
Oppenheimer is a real true figure in history. We could talk about a little bit about his story without talking about the movie anyways. So uh, so let's do that just a little bit. The story of Oppenheimer is a story of a scientist that brought together scientists from all over the world. He, he brought together the best minds and the best scientists uh, to, to take the theory of building an atomic weapon into actually building an atomic bomb. Uh, the United States during the World War II, the during the end or towards the end of World War II was in sort of an arms race with Germany and with Russia to develop a, a nuclear weapon, to develop this atomic bomb. And it was sort of came down to whoever got to do it first uh, would come out on top. And, and so there was this race. And when faced with the dilemma of developing this weapon, uh, we know that Oppenheimer in history was sort of torn morally and ethically about building this weapon. He would become known as the father of the atomic weapon. Can you imagine being the father of bringing nuclear weapons into the world. Uh, there were points in the movie that are quoted, even in the trailers, saying, I don't know if I can be trusted, if we can be trusted with such a weapon, but we have no choice. And there's this moral and ethical thing going on. Now, I don't know if Oppenheimer actually said that himself, but here's one thing we do know, that at the Manhattan Project, when the atom bomb was first tested and and he saw the power and the devastation and the potential of this weapon he's quoted as saying this now i am become death the destroyer of worlds and the story of oppenheimer got me to thinking well what happens when the world and its sinfulness is in a world war, is is looking for its best and its brightest to come together, what is it that the world does, <laughs> that the people of the world do, when they bring the best and the brightest and the smartest from all over the world to come together and to find a solution, what do they do? Oh, they build a nuclear weapon. That's what the world does when it works together in in a sinful, broken world. And the story of Oppenheimer made me think of another time where the world came together to build something destructive. And God said, well, that's not going to happen. In fact, here's what God said. If they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do, and you could put into parentheses, sinfully or or nothing, no wickedness they plan to do will be impossible for them. And God saw their imagined future, and he did something to slow it down. Now this morning, I want to bounce off this idea of the world coming together and nothing, uh, nuclear weapons, nothing sinful, nothing broken, nothing hurtful uh, is impossible when people come together to do wicked things. And I want to take that idea and come together to a story where God slows mankind down. In Genesis chapter 11, 
We see God do just that. By the time we come to the story of Genesis chapter 11, we've worked through the stories of Genesis chapters 1 to 3, where God creates the entire world. He creates the heavens. He creates the earth, where God creates mankind. And we saw that God uh, created mankind and put them in this garden to work this garden. He says to them, you can eat from any any of the fruit of the trees in this garden, except for one. And, And we saw the fall of man in the story of Genesis 3. And after that fall, uh, which went from disobeying God and mankind deciding that it was going to do its own thing and and become like God themselves by disobeying God, uh, it went straight into murder. And then it got worse and it got worse and it got worse as the population of the world got so bad that God said, I am going to push the reset button on history and I'm going to destroy the whole world with a with a worldwide flood. You go through the story of Genesis and you find there's the story of the flood. There's the story of Noah and the ark and how God uh, saves Noah and his family on this ark along with all the animals of every kind that are on the ark with him. And after that, we find Noah and Noah begins to populate the earth. Noah and his family have kids and they have families and the population of the earth once again grows and we find ourselves watching as the earth is becoming populated and we turn to Genesis chapter 11 verses 1 to 4 and it will tell us that the world as it was being populated was a different world than the world we live in today. That that there was one language. There weren't, I think, something like they say there's something over 7,000 languages today that are spoken around the world. And that day there was one language spoken by all people. And there was basically one culture, one people. And uh, there was th- there was one language. And, and it was a different world. And what they began to do is they began to come together and do something that God says... No, I'm not going to let you do it. God says you're imagining a future and it's a different future than the one that I want. It's a different future than the one that will be the best for everyone. And it it would be hard for us to understand why God would stop what he stops from happening if we didn't understand something. Sometimes people wonder why. Why would God destroy a whole world with a flood? And the answer is because we don't understand just how bad it was. We're going to come back to that thought in just a bit. But can you imagine a world where no woman is safe, no child is safe, where no man is safe? A world where there's always, and and, and everywhere you turn, corruption, there's always murder, there's always struggle, there's always hurt, there's always pain. A world filled with wickedness. And what God saw is that in Genesis 11, that these people were coming together with one language. They weren't needing to bring the best and the brightest and and figure out how how to communicate with each other. No, they were all working together to bring about rebellion against God. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 to 4, it says this, Now the whole world had one language. 
and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a, a plain in Shinar, and they settled there. And then they said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and, and tar for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, I, I recently read a story about a town with a funny name. It was a town in Scotland called Lost. And this town in Scotland called Lost was having a, a, a problem that their sign was continually becoming lost. You see, what what the people of the town said is that there were always visitors coming through that town. They would they would stop and they would get out and they would stop by the sign, the city sign that said, welcome, you know, to the city of lost or whatever. And they would point at it and they would look confused. And so it was kind of something that people enjoyed doing. And every once in a while, someone would steal the sign that said, lost. <laughs> and it just became a big problem for one because it was expensive. It was about it was hundreds of dollars every time that sign got stolen. And it also became a problem because every time they had to order a new sign, uh, delivery drivers would get lost because they didn't know where lost was. And and so eventually the town renamed their town from Lost to Lost Farm, uh, which made uh, made the problem somewhat go away. Uh, every every once in a while you'll come across towns with funny names. I used to laugh at some of the names in in Pennsylvania and, and I used to laugh at some of the names that you'd come across of towns. Uh, I, I'm actually, as I was writing this uh, this teaching today, I, I started to get curious about the, the name Vernonia and where our little town got its name. And, and honestly, I didn't actually do the research. I'm not sure. And, but it is a funny little name for, for a, a cool little town. Uh, every, you come across towns with funny names all the time. Well, the town, the city, the, the place that these people were building would, would have a funny name. It would become known as the city of Babel because of what happens at the end of the story of this city. This story we know of as the story of the Tower of Babel, although the tower itself, we don't even know if it was ever finished or completed. It's really the story of a, of a city. And the story continues in Genesis chapter 11, verse 5 to 9. It says this, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do, and again, you could read in parentheses, nothing wicked they plan to do, nothing sinful they plan to do, nothing hurtful they plan to do, will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That's why it was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. And we know that this story, the story of the Tower of Babel uh, and the story of the city of, the, uh, of Babel, 
This story is a story that God wants us to know for a reason. And when it comes down to the question of whether this story is a real story, a true story, or whether this story is a myth, I think there are a lot of reasons to look at this story and say, hey, this story, it's not just a story or myth. This is a history. <laughs> this is history that God is sharing with us about a true event, a true place, uh, something that really happened. I mean, there are all kinds of reasons to to understand or believe that. Uh, for one, what would you expect if you had uh, all people in one city, building one city, God comes down, confuses their languages, and scatters them all over the world? Well, what you would expect is that people that scattered all over the world would have a story in their history telling the story of how God confused their work of building a city and confused language. And you know what you find almost all over? You'll find in, in different ancient cultures the story of how God did that. In fact, among the Chaldeans, which was an ancient culture from the 1500 BC area or era, uh, they tell the story about how people were building a temple in a city and, and how the gods uh, came in and threw down what had been built. And in, ancient, in an ancient Chaldean text that sits in the British Museum, it says this, that the gods scattered them abroad and made strange their speech, the progress they impeded. Among the culture of the Sumerians, another ancient culture, uh, they told of a golden age where all mankind spoke the same language and, and their speech was confused by a god. Uh, the ancient Babylonians around 600 B.C. A king named Nabopolassar, uh, who who was looking for old temples, looking for ancient buildings. He was looking for them so he could rebuild them. He claimed to have found the actual remains of the Tower of Babel. And it's said that he set out to rebuild that tower or to finish building that tower. And uh, as far as we know, it wasn't him that actually rebuilt it, but it was Nebuchadnezzar his son. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon, who we actually get to know a little bit in the in the in the scriptures as it tells us a little bit of his story but there's a there's a old uh, there's an old chiseled carving, a stone called the Tower of Babel Steel, which has a large engraved picture of Nebuchadnezzar looking towards the tower uh, that he built, the Tower of Babel that he rebuilt. And that tower appears to have lasted about 300 years. It was destroyed by Alexander the Great in 330 BC, uh, who apparently planned on rebuilding it, but he died before he could do that. And when it comes to the idea of people from all over, people uh, being coming from one place, being spread out, having languages confused, being spread out, just what you expect to find, you find. You find ancient stories among ancient people groups who tell of a story of how God or a God uh, interrupted their work and confused their languages. What else would you plan or, or, or expect to find? Well, another thing you'd expect to find is evidence that languages all came from a single language. And you know what? That's 
actually what you find. Back in the 1990s, a U.S. News and World Report had, a, had on the cover of their magazine this, The Roots of Language, How Modern Speech Evolved from a Single Ancient Source. And the article talked about how uh, how you can reconstruct pathways from all the thousands of languages that are out there and find your way back to just a handful of mother languages. And from those mother languages, you can even work your way back and find that those mother languages came from one mother language. NPR's flagship uh, TV show called Nova had a special program where they examined this uh, idea that all languages come from one language, and they said linguists in Russia and America had shown that all languages could have come from a single language. Well, there's all kinds of reasons to look at this story and say, hey, this is a historical story, and you can look outside of the Bible and find evidence that this is a historical story. But you know, the reason I look at this story and believe in this story is because it's in God's Word, and God shares with us the truth. Uh, God shares with us uh, in His Word things that actually happen. In fact, uh, even Jesus believed in the stories of Genesis. When Jesus taught, He taught the story of the the creation account from Genesis 1 as a real, true, historical story. Uh, he referred to the days of creation as actual days. Uh, you, I believe that God created all things in six actual days because Jesus believed it and because I believe that God's word is always true and trustworthy and, and is eternal and will always tell us the truth. And Jesus believed in the story of Noah on multiple occasions. Jesus taught the story and, and used the story of Noah and the worldwide flood as a story that he referred to as history. And, and so I believe in the word of God, and I believe that Jesus believed in the word of God, and that I believe that, that God wants us to trust in the word of God. And, and so I would encourage you as you read this story and get to know this story today, think of this story as God sharing with you what actually happened and why does he want you to know this part of history well the apostle paul will tell us why god shares with us a lot of the stories of scripture and and, and the apostle paul would say this in romans chapter 15 verse 4 he says everything that was written in the past was written to teach us god wants to teach us something so that through endurance and the encouragement the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so God gives us this story, the story of the, of, of the city and the Tower of Babel. He gives us this story to give us some hope. He, he gives us this story to give us, well, some encouragement. And he gives us this story to teach us a little bit about who he is. And so what I want to do is I want to dive into this story just a little bit and think about what is it that God wants to teach us? What is it that God wants to give us hope in? What is it that God wants us to encourage us with from this story? And let me share with you some things I think he wants to teach us and encourage us and give us hope with. Number one, Number one, I think this story is a story that, well, shows us God's mercy. It teaches us about God, how he's a merciful God. 
God tells us why he confused their languages to stop the growth of this city and the work that they were doing in this city. One of the reasons that he's stopping it is that by stopping it, he is stopping the progress of wickedness. He's stopping the progress of the kind of wickedness that happened before the flood. He could see where they were going and that they were already starting to go down the same path as the people before the flood. And he said, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to let this happen again. These people were starting to say, hey, let's build ourselves up. Let's build this tower up. Uh, let's make ourselves a name and, and, and build up. And, and we're told that God, whose hand alone can measure the expanse of the universe... Well, we're told that, that he says, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan will be impossible for them. No amount of wickedness, no amount of hurt, no amount of nuclear weapons and, and destructive forces that they want to unleash on themselves will be impossible for them. And so I'm going to slow down their wickedness. And that alone was merciful. He did that to show mercy. Even when it comes down to you and me, he did that to show mercy to us because we have no idea how fearful, hurtful, how hard life would be today if God didn't slow down the growth and the effects of the wickedness and sin of people back then. That was a merciful move, just like actually the, the flood was a merciful move. The flood, we often think of the flood as a, a move of God's wrath, which it was on one side, but it was also a move of God's mercy. You see, before the flood, God describes the way people were in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 to 6. It says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness on man's wickedness on earth had become and they, that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Every person on the face of the earth was was always thinking about how to do evil. And the Lord was grieved that he had made man on earth and his heart was filled with pain. And what God saw when he looked at Babel was that the same thing was becoming a problem again. And he said, no, <laughs> we're not going to do that. He decided to fix the problem before there was a problem. And often I hear people say, you know, how could God be so cruel as to destroy the whole earth with a worldwide flood? But what they don't think about is how that was an act of mercy for you and for me. We have no idea just how bad it was. We have no idea how oppressive, how lonely, how fearful, how murderous, how hurtful, how abusive it must have been to live in a world where every man and all their thoughts all the time was wicked and evil. We know that there are bad things and bad people in the world today, but you know what? There's a lot of good 
There are a lot of people who know the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ. There are churches all over the world showing and reflecting the love of God. And there are, there are people who care. There are people who are seeking God, who are living righteous lives. But in that world, there was only one, Noah. In that world, no one was seeking God. There was no good. And in that world, God said, I'm going to spare I'm going to spare all the rest of the future of humanity from this kind of world. And so he brought the flood. To, he set the reset button on human history. He brought the flood so that, well, we, <laughs> we would have a chance at a world that's better. And here in this story, he also says, I'm not going to let that happen again. I'm going to confuse their language so they can't work together to continue to build a world of sin and wickedness so that they, they'll, they'll, they'll be slowed down. Their sin will be slowed down so that they can't work together to make life so hard. That was an act of mercy. That was an act of mercy so that he could slow sin down, so that he could share mercy with all who will. Sometimes people say, well, wouldn't a good God just destroy all the bad? And you know what? Uh, they're, 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 that's a good question. But here's the thing. God wants to slow down sin so that he can be patient with people who sin so that he can show them mercy so that those who would could turn to him to give them a chance to experience his mercy. The apostle Paul will ask us a few questions in Romans chapter 9 to get us thinking about how God shows mercy. In Romans chapter 9 it says this, what if God choosing to show his wrath and make his power known bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the rich of his glory known to the objects of his mercy who he prepared in advance for his glory and i think what paul is getting at is this that god uh, even if we go all the way back to genesis chapter 11 that god slows down the effects and the impact and the growth and the spread of human sin so that he can bear with patience those who sin so that he can pull out everyone who would believe in Jesus so he could show his mercy. And you know what? If God just destroyed all the bad, I wouldn't have had a chance. And most of us wouldn't have had a chance. Because there was a time in our lives where we were rebelling against God, where we didn't know God, where we didn't serve God, where we didn't love God, where we didn't know the grace of Jesus Christ in our life. But God in his mercy bore with great patience the objects of his destruction so that he could show mercy to the objects of his grace. He wants to show mercy. And even in this story, I think we see a picture of God's mercy. God is showing mercy by slowing down the story of the sinfulness of man. I think by doing what he did and Chapter 11 of the book of Genesis, we even today still don't know. Thousands of years later, we still don't know how bad it was before the flood. 
Because we haven't experienced it. Because God slowed it down. God stopped what was going to happen. He showed us mercy with this city, the city of Babel. Uh, he, he separates people by language. He shows mercy. He shows mercy as he, he, he makes sure that it will never be the same kind of world it was before the flood. With this division caused here in Genesis, uh, caused here, uh, he mercifully shows and slows down. He, he mercifully shows his mercy and slows down the effects of his wrath. Uh, you think times are tough today. You, you couldn't imagine what it would be like. Our imaginings would horrify us if we thought about what it would be like without him having done what he did. So God shows us his mercy. I think he wants us to know that he's a merciful God. Uh, I think he also shows us his will. He, he wants us to know that he's a God whose will will always overcome any other will. Uh, when God comes down to the city of Babel, he sees that things are about to repeat. And, and, what, what he, and, and what was it that told him that things were about to repeat? Well, he looked and he, he sees these people and they're, they're saying things like, let us come together and build a city. Let us build a tower reaching up to the heavens. Let us uh, not scatter about. Let us do this thing and make for ourselves a name that will be famous. And at first you read this story, you know, at, at surface level and you go, well, what's so bad about that? I mean, a lot of people say, hey, let's do something great and let's build something big and, and let's make for ourselves a, a, a name that will be remembered. What, what's so bad about that? Until we get down under the surface of what's going on here, uh, where we can see that this was actually people coming together saying, let us rebel against God and be our own gods. You see, we are coming off the heels of the story of Noah. And people are now populating the world. And Noah was given a command and a blessing by God. And that command and blessing went to all people. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, it says this, Then God blessed Noah and his sons just after the flood. And he said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. God told them, spread out. God told them, go have babies, make families, build towns, build villages, get out there, spread out and populate the whole earth. And it isn't long after that people began to say, hey, instead of doing what God wants us to do, let's actually just stay here. Let's come together. Let's build our own little city and our own tower reaching to the heavens. Uh, God said, let's spread out. But you know what? I don't think so. Let's not do what God said, let's do what we want to do. And so they began to uh, build this city with a tower that sort of said, God, you can't stop us. You can't stop us from doing what we want to do. And so they started building this city using uh, technology, using brick and mortar, and, 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 and using the best of the best that was available at the time. They built this beautiful city, or they began building it, uh, and they began building this tower to the heavens as if they could reach heaven. And, and they, they were trying to build up. 
They're trying to build themselves up. They're trying to build up their fame. They're trying to build up and, 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 and put themselves in a place of God. They're trying to build up their power, build up their egos, build up their city and their tower. And, and they're just wanting to build up. And, and what they do is they sort of enter a little pattern. It's a pattern, I think, that's a common pattern for people. Uh, here's the pattern. They wanted to do the opposite of God's ultimate will. Either they didn't want to do what God said, or they wanted to do the opposite of what God said. We don't want to spread out. And then they rejected God's word, God's command. Let's gather in one place and build one big city. Then they manufactured a reason. <laughs> to to reject God's word. Hey, we can build a tower to the heavens. We don't need God. We can be like God. You know, we can reach the heavens ourselves. We don't really need to do what he said. And then they invented a purpose for their disobedience. If we do this, it will be better for us. God wants us to spread out. But if we come together, it'll be better for us. And then they reveled in their disobedience. Not only will it be better for us, but man, it will be a, an achievement. We'll achieve a greatness and people will remember us. We'll go down in history as being the great people that we are. And you know what? I think if we're honest, we've all kind of go through a pattern like this when we follow our own way. Have you ever had a time where you found yourself following a pattern like this? Maybe you knew what God wanted you to do, and you knew what his word said about it, but you said, you know what, God, I'm going to do what I want to do, no matter what you say. And then you found yourself not just doing, wanting to do what opposite of what God wanted you to do, but you just go ahead and reject what he says altogether. You came up with a good reason for rejecting his guidance, his law, or his scripture, and, and then you somehow began to move on from just rejecting God to finding a good reason to reject him. You found purpose in in pursuing your own way. You, you said, you know, uh, I'm going this way and it's so good for me that I see purpose in it that's greater than the purpose of going God's way. In fact, uh, it's greater than God himself. And maybe you got to the point where you were proud of your results. Maybe it was because you didn't trust God. You didn't see how God was going to take care of you or provide for you, or you didn't think that going God's way, uh, you would get what you needed. Maybe it was because you're afraid to go God's way, and, and you're afraid to do what God wanted you to do, even though you knew what it is, and and uh, you could you could only see you can only see how it would hurt your progress and maybe it was because you were simply defiant or proud or or rebellious but for whatever reason it was remember this just like the people in babel found out we will too god's will god's ultimate will it always trumps ours <laughs> while we build up and and we try to to go up, and while we try to, to build ourselves up, eventually God comes down. Eventually God comes down, and, and when God comes down, will we be found 
in with His will to our blessing, or will we be found standing against His will at our expense? Eventually, God comes down. I love the imagery in this story. There's all kinds of going up and coming down. There's actually more going up than anything. It tells us that that men said, hey, uh, let's build up. Uh, They want to build up a city. They want to build up a tower. They want to build up themselves. They want to build up their fame. And while mankind comes together and tries to build up to the heavens in this story with brick and mortar, or or maybe in our story with spaceships and and with with space stations. Not long ago, there was a a Russian spacewalk that everyone was excited about. and, And And, you know, it takes so much work and so much effort for us to build up. But you know what? God's already there. We work so hard to build ourselves up, but God, who holds all things together in the palm of his hand, he simply steps down just once in this story. He steps down. And when he steps down, (laughs) He says, let us. And and that's another thing that comes up over and over again in this story. As you read the story in Genesis 11, there's a lot of let us talk. Let us build up. Let us build a city. Let us build a tower. Let us not spread out. Let us come together. Let us avoid what God wants. And only one time God steps down and he says, let us confuse their language and stop them from progressing sin so much that it brings them to the same place that they were before the flood. Let us step into their world and let us show mercy to the future generations of the world and let us prepare for the story of how we're going to step down once again in the person of Jesus Christ to bring salvation, forgiveness, and grace into a fallen world. Let us. When God says let us, it it it, it trumps every other let us. <laughs> it's it's bigger than every other let us. It's it's louder, it's more sovereign, it's well it's just unstoppable. And when you find yourself traveling or meeting foreigners or you, you hear a language that you don't understand, let that just be a reminder to you that God is a sovereign God whose will will be done. Let it just be a, a reminder to you that, that God has mercy. And, and because... Because he has mercy, he confused languages to slow down the erosion of sin and wickedness in this world. To slow it down so that he could show his grace and mercy in the person of Jesus to all who would say, God, I want to know your will in my life. And not only that, but this story also teaches us that he's setting the stage for a better imagined future. I like how that that quote in that movie, 
uh, or that that trailer in that movie begins with the quote, we imagine a future and our imaginings horrify us. If all there was was the imaginings of a wicked and evil and fallen and broken mankind, then yeah, our imaginings would horrify us. But God wants to give us the picture of something better to imagine, something better to hope in, something better to look forward to. With this story, God sets the stage for actually an action that he's going to undo. He gives us, uh, sets the stage for a time where he brings us a better future. In Genesis chapter 11, God saw sin and turned one language into many languages so that he could slow it down. And God shows his power and his authority by making it so that no one could understand each other. So they spread out all over the world. But about 4,000 years later, God is going to do something to actually undo what he did so that he could bring a message of grace to all people. By the time we come to Acts chapter 2, Jesus has already lived and, and served in his earthly ministry. He performed miracles. He fulfilled the prophecies of scripture about the Messiah and who the Messiah would be. He died on a cross to forgive us our sins. And he rose from the dead to show that he was the God, the author of life and the sustainer of life, that even death can't hold him down. He did that so that he could destroy sin and the effects of sin. And then Jesus told his disciples to go make disciples of all nations all over the world and he told them that he was going to send them a helper his his very own holy spirit to to help them as they shared that message with people all over the world and we come to acts chapter 2 and and there's people that have come from all over the world that spoke many languages uh, they were from many nations uh, there were people from all over thousands of them congregated in the city of Jerusalem for the Pentecost celebration and in acts chapter 2 verse 5 it says this now they were staying in Jerusalem god-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven and they were there for this special celebration and here's what it says in acts chapter 2 verse 1 to 4 it says at the day of pentecost or when the day of pentecost came they were all together in one place suddenly the sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting uh, they saw what seemed like tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them all of them were were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And with that, this huge crowd of people from all over the world that spoke different languages heard the gospel preached. They heard about the grace of Jesus. They heard about how Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior, who was God himself come to, to save us from our sins and to give us mercy and grace and to, to draw us in to know God's will and to get in on God's will with our life. I mean, they, they heard Jesus and the gospel preached in their own language, even though these guys didn't know their language. In Acts 2 verse 8, they were, they, they were astonished and they said, how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? 
You see, at the city of Babel, God divided people because of their sin. And now, in Acts chapter 2, God is bringing together all those who believe uh, so that they can be healed from their sin. It's an imagined future of healing. It's an imagined future of bringing people together in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness that, that God wants to give to build a better kingdom, to build a better future and imagine future imagine future where there's no hurt no guilt no shame where there's no division and imagine future where God brings people from every tribe every nation every language and he makes one kingdom out of them a kingdom of God a kingdom his church that one day comes together when he returns when he once again steps down that one day comes together and is brought up into heaven with him for this imagined future. And there's no division at all. He undoes what he did in Genesis chapter 11. In Ephesians chapter 4, 4 to 6, it says this, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all, through all, and in all. And today, in every nation around the world, the message of the gospel is, is spreading, it's being shared. The story of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's relevant no matter what culture you're in, no matter what language you speak, no matter, no matter where it's shared. It's relevant and it offers the same forgiveness and the same grace. It offers for us to know the same God. It offers for for us to say yes to him and, and be buried in baptism into one baptism with him. And, and, and this is God's imagined future. It's an imagined future of starting over without sin. It was God's grace that, that started over. It was God's grace that started over at the flood. And it was God's mercy that started over at the flood. It was God's grace that slowed sin down to give us a chance to come to know the grace and the forgiveness of God. And it's God's grace that offers us an ultimate imagined future of being in heaven with him. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, the Apostle John had a chance to see the ultimate future, the eternal future for those who say yes to the mercy of Jesus. And he writes this, all people from all over the world, they, they came together and they sang a new song. You're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. With your blood, you purchased men from God, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And here's the point. While mankind and their sin might bring their brightest and best from all over the world, together so they can win a race to create a bigger bomb to kill more people they can create a more powerful and, and, and more technological ways to hurt themselves and to hurt others it's easy to see why someone like oppenheimer might say we imagine a future and our imaginings horrify us 
But God's a merciful God. And God's a God who shows us an imagined future of redemption for all those who believe in Jesus. And he shows us a better future, one where, where, where sin needs to be slowed down. Where sin and brokenness eventually need to be done away with for good. He shows us an imagined future to give us hope, to encourage us, to say to us, my will will be done. And if you get in on my will, you can be with me in this graceful, merciful, holy, and perfect future. This future is the future I have in store for you. Won't you get in on my future? And as your pastor, I want you to know the future God has for you. As your pastor, I want to encourage you to take a hold of his will and his future because it's so much better than what the world of men offer. <laughs> it's so much better than what the world of mankind will produce. Mankind produces destructiveness, brokenness, God. God brings healing, mercy, goodness, and his will is that you would know Jesus Christ in your life. I want to encourage you to say yes to Jesus in your life. I want to encourage you to say, God, I want to know your imagined future, one where all people from all over the world come to know Jesus and we all sing and understand each other in a world without sin. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we just thank you that you give us this imagined future rather than the imagined future of the smartest of humanity. Sometimes, Father, we can get so smart, but in getting smarter, we don't get better. In getting smarter, we often get more creatively sinful. And God, we just want to come before you and we want to humble ourselves before you and say, God, we want your imagined future. Because your will will always it will always come first. And your will is so much superior, so much better than the will that maybe I have or the will that the other people might have for me. And so God, help me to come to know what it means to be in on your imagined future. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today as we continue this series, God on Film. I want to finish up today by declaring it's been a great day together, and it has. It's been a great day. Uh, I, I enjoyed getting into the story of uh, the Tower of Babel today. Really, honestly, the story of Oppenheimer, it just made me think of it. It was my excuse to dive into this story today. Uh, and it has been a great day. So I want to declare together it's been a great day on the count of three. You ready? One, two, three. It's been a great day. I want to invite you to join me next Sunday as we get continue uh, to talk about God on film. I'll see you next Sunday.